0: Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Let's survey a few of the headlines um, before us this day as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues that we face in the world. Um, Daryl Brooks uh, has been found guilty by a jury on all six counts of first-degree intentional homicide in connection with the Waukesha, Wisconsin parade, um, Christmas parade last November Um it's undisputed that Daryl Brooks plowed his SUV into a crowd of people at the Christmas parade in Waukesha, um, killing six of them, injuring dozens of others. We have spoken on occasion about um, some of those victims. um, And Brooks has now been convicted on all 76 counts that were leveled against him. Um, And part of the conversation that I think that we want to have in terms of um this particular issue not only is obviously violence in our culture but um, mental illness and how the justice system is really not equipped um in america to deal with this kind of individual daryl brooks um pled guilty by reason of insanity and then fired his lawyers became a lawyer for himself um uh, it's called pro se. I mean, he's you know serving as his own attorney. Um, in in that capacity, he was obviously completely ill-equipped to even follow the um, the instructions of the judge, um, let alone know what uh, you know what the prosecution was really doing in terms of the legal language they were using and the things happening in a court of law. Um, decorum was a serious issue. Um, And I I just think that this particular case gives us um, pause because this was an individual who denied even being himself. He he said, I don't I don't identify nor recognize the name that's being used. Um, And he denied uh, all the charges brought against him. And he certainly um, said that he did not intentionally um, do the things uh, of which he was charged. And yet literally everyone knows it was him. Like it's it it is one of those cases where there is no question who is responsible. Um, is he in his right mind? I um, I highly doubt that. Um, but how does our justice system deal with a person who then denies the counsel provided to them? Um, I mean, it's a challenging, challenging situation, right? Like, so I, I just I lift this up because, um, you know, obviously we are grieving and broken for these families and this community. Um, But we should also be grieving and broken for this person who is so broken, um, who is now going to spend the rest of his natural life um, behind bars, rightly so. Um, But what happens to him there? Um, And what does our, um, you know, do we just literally put him away and, um, and forget about him? Or do we consider that, um, You know, Christ came for sinners such as this as well. Um, Challenging, challenging um, headlines in relationship to this. Saudi Arabia is uh, issuing warnings to President Biden of the United States of America that he should not drain America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We had a conversation about this with Nick Pitts on Tuesday. If you missed it, you can go and listen to um, the re-air of Tuesday's show at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts um, you should be subscribed to Mornings with Carmen. Um, it's a great way to listen to the show live and also catch episodes that you miss. Saudi Arabia warning the president of the United States um, that it is politically motivated to drain America's strategic petroleum reserve um, and that it could cause serious problems for the United States in the near future. Um, last week, the president announced uh, that another 11 million barrels would be released from the strategic petroleum reserve falsely claiming that the move would lower gas prices for American families at the pump. And um, uh, so, you know, obviously we're concerned about the the low levels of the strategic petroleum reserve, but it should also concern us that Saudi Arabia, who is one of the largest oil producers in the world, um, is warning against a drawdown, which means they're paying attention, they're watching, and they know it's politically motivated. And so, um, yeah, there's just a lot going on there geopolitically, I mean, in terms of global politics, as well as what's going on politically right here in the United States of America. All right, we're going to talk with Pastor Jeremy Wren next. He's the pastor of the Sanibel Community Church. We've been praying for Jeremy. We've been praying for this congregation since the landfall of Hurricane Ian, and we want to get um, we want to get an update from the ground. We also want to talk about the immovable hope that we have as Christians in the wake of storms. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle
1: of the war, you guard my soul.
0: Jeremy Rennie is joining us. He's the pastor of the Sanibel Community Church on Sanibel Island in Florida. Jeremy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hey, thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you.
0: Okay, so um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you can exhale a little bit. It's been a month. Um, talk with us about what life is like today, but also, you know, what life has been like since the arrival of Hurricane Ian.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a slow process of trying to find a new place of stability and normality. Um, every week it's a little better. Um, and yet in some ways the challenges change. So we, you go from an emergency crisis situation to a daunting long-term rebuilding situation. Uh, so, so progress is happening. It's kind of like a mountain climb. When you look behind you, you're like, wow, look how far we've come. And when you look ahead, you're like, wow, look how far we have to go.
0: Mm. Um, I remember responding, um, Following Hurricane Katrina, I remember I lived on Hilton Head at the time, so I was very, very aware of the risk of hurricanes and what we would do in advance of one to prepare and, you know, that big plastic bin of things that you always had ready to go uh, to throw in your car and drive off the island. And so after Hurricane Katrina, you know, our congregation responded um, over a long period of time to one particular, you know, very, very small community um, in rural Mississippi on the coast Um, And I remember when you would arrive at a person's house that, you know, where they hadn't had help yet. And it was, you know, let's say a month after the hurricane and they still hadn't mucked out their house. They still hadn't removed um, the things that needed to be removed. Are you encountering people who are who, you know, are basically like paralyzed by the disaster? They just don't even know where to start because the mountain is so big.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and one of the challenges has been that Sanibel Island is, is an island. The causeway, and you can f- see these pictures online, the three-mile causeway that connected the island to the mainland was breached significantly in five places. So so a lot of people simply haven't even had opportunity to begin the muck-out work. Mm. Um, so that's really ha- started happening in earnest, I think, over the last week when the causeway was completed. I mean, that was kind of a a modern miracle, uh, seeing that thing fixed in like two weeks. Um, but still, you know, mold, mold doesn't wait to grow. So, um, so, so a lot of people are in that case, you know, there's a lot of church members here, you know, some of whom can hire a crew to come in others who are, you in know, some of our widows in the church who have just been in a little, a uh, bungalow on the on the island, and now they need help mucking out and and ripping out drywall and all that stuff. So for some, it's a very daunting task and very discouraging and traumatizing the first time you go on the island.
0: Yeah, talk about that. Talk about um, the first opportunity that you had to return to Sanibel Island. Tell us what you saw in terms of you know the the status of you know your your church in particular, but um, but homes as well.
2: Yeah, it was really incredible. Um, you know, the the east end of the island, especially in Fort Myers Beach area, had, you know, estimates like 12, 15 feet of storm surge came over the island. So, um, you know, to, to go on to what used to be a very paradise-like island, uh, people have equated Sanibel to almost like Hawaii in terms of its lushness and its beauty, natural beauty, and then to come on and to see something more like Ukraine you know, to see buildings, um, you know, with their doors blown open and boats in the middle of the road and, you know, cars dead everywhere and debris. And it was, it was unrecognizable. Uh, The smell was, was really nasty and overpowering. All the roads were covered with dirt and mud from, from the seawater. So it it was unrecognizable and even pictures just couldn't put it uh, into perspective. I talked to one guy who um, helped, a wrap on our church's roof. And he's, he said he's been to 20 disasters sites to do work on roofs and things. And I said, where does this one rank in your experience? He said, Oh, this is number one. This is the worst I've ever seen. So it's, it's pretty devastating. Uh, Our church building stands. uh, We took a lot of water in our children's wing and our fellowship hall. And so that's now being gutted and remediated. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot to rebuild.
0: Um, We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Jeremy Rennie here in just a moment. He's the pastor of the Sanibel Community Church. If you've got particular questions you'd like me to ask him, you can text me at 877-933-2484. We're also going to talk with Jeremy um, about his reflections to his congregation, you know, right in the midst of it. it. What does it look like and sound like to be a person of immovable hope? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Pastor Jeremy Rennie. You can connect with him at SanibelChurch.com, SanibelChurch.com. He also writes for the Gospel Coalition, and that's where um, his piece written from um, the, uh, the the confines of a hotel bathroom so as not to wake up his wife, um, that's where this post is from, 4.30 a.m. October the 2nd. Uh, you can find it at thegospelcoalition.org. It's Sunday morning, October the 2nd. I'm writing this from a hotel bathroom so as not to wake my wife. A week ago, um, I couldn't have imagined this is where I'd be today. Normally on a Sunday morning, I'd be getting up around 5.30 uh, and heading out for a beach walk to pray and think through my sermon. This Sunday in particular would have been the beginning of a new sermon series on Daniel. Daniel followed by the Lord's Supper. It would have been uh, um, World Communion Sunday, I'm pretty sure. Instead, uh, Jeremy writes uh, from a hotel bathroom. He, hadn't, um, he didn't have a house anymore. Um, all of his earthly possessions now fit in a truck. Um, Jeremy, talk about your own um, your own family's experience of loss and um, what you've learned about God and His goodness, His faithfulness, His people, the fellowship of the saints. Like, what what have you learned in the last month?
1: Yeah,
2: the le- the lessons are uh, as overwhelming in some ways as the hurricane. All the things God's been teaching us. Um, a, a lot of things are things we all would know, and that I would. Uh, assent to, but it's different when you have to walk it out in the laboratory of life. Uh, So, you know, we know that life does not consist in possessions, that Christ is our life, that our life is hidden in Christ with God. And yet when you actually have to carry your possessions out of your uh, wet basement and throw them in a huge pile and you, you take pictures out of your basement and throw them away with your own hands, you know, those lessons are driven home. And you're like, wait a minute, do I really believe That Christ is my life. Um, I think I've uh, another simple lesson that we all would probably assent to is that the church is a people, not a building. Uh, But when you actually lose your building, you know, and you're no longer on this beautiful little um, resort island, and there's no beautiful little causeway drive to go over to the church, and you're in someone else's space on a Sunday night, not Sunday morning, so you don't have your your pew is gone and your building is gone and your preferred time of a service is gone. You know, all of our little preferences are out the window and all you have really is just the people there, the Bible and prayer. I mean, that's all we have. We've been saying that on Sunday nights. We're like, we're the church that has nothing to offer you anymore, except the Bible prayer and the love of God's people. And then, and you realize like, is that really enough? Is that enough to be a church? Uh, Or do you have to have all the, um, you know, the amenities that, that we often have in American churches.
0: And what, what is your answer to that? I mean, when all you have is the Bible and prayer and the fellowship of God's people, I mean, have you discovered that it's enough? Cause that's a testimony.
2: It, it is. I mean, it's, it's more than enough. And, and our, our worship gatherings now have a kind of intensity and um, seriousness in, in the sense of that, you know, people are, people are there because, because they are, they're committed to the body, you, you know, that there, there's no smoke and mirrors. There's no really cool light show or like there's nothing. And so, and it's really a purifying um, thing. And, and yet, you know, that this is, you, you you're reminded that it's these ordinary means of grace through which God works uh, that, that to be a church, you need a people who are covenanted together around the word and observing the sacraments. I mean, that's the essence of a church. And so what we're finding is that God's power is just as much at work, even without all the other nice things that we would normally add in or, or even maybe think of as a church.
0: Um, help us um, imagine what we can do. I mean, we've been praying, um, we've been sending resources to, you know, appropriate um, funding streams um, what what would what would you say to those of us you know across the country and even around the world um who are we do have an ongoing concern we also know that it wouldn't necessarily be all that helpful if we showed up to help like what like what what do you what would you have us as your brothers and sisters in christ do
2: um certainly you know prayers are are key i mean for a lot of this you know the first couple of weeks I felt like i I couldn't even really pray i mean my head was mm-hmm. just in a fog, and so I, you know, we know that that the Holy Spirit intercedes with, with for us with groans too deep for words, and I think other people are interceding. So I felt very much borne along by the prayers of people all over the place. Um, certainly, giving financially helps. I mean, uh, you know, if you've been through this kind of thing before, everyone has their insurance, but when it comes time to actually get your insurance money, rarely do you get what you think you're going to get. So, so everybody will likely be paying out of pocket, you know, and the church as well. Um, you know, the church is, has a big building and, you know, we have to pay out of pocket. And so there's a lot of, there's just going to be a lot of costs in in recovery. Um, you know, I think a thing that can be helpful is, is if you have a connection with us or someone else, just, you know, send us an email like once a month and say, Hey, are there new needs that have cropped up? I think a lot of times the initial need happens and you get this, you know, the trucks full of water bottles and the trucks full of food. And those, those are needed the first few days or week, but eventually you don't need those anymore because water Mm -hmm. comes back online and grocery stores open, but there can be other needs that are less obvious um, because they're rebuilding work. And so I think if you know someone, or if you know our church, like just send us a message like once a month or once every six weeks and be like, Hey, just checking back in, you know, it's kind of like when someone loses a friend and they die or a family member and everyone comes to the funeral, but then like two months later, everyone's moved on. And so I think just not moving on, but but cycling back, you know, with our church or with any other church in a disaster and saying, what do you guys need now? There may be a need that's cropped up that no one even foresaw two months ago, and it may be a different need. So um, that can be really helpful.
0: Um, is there a specific need today that, you know, you couldn't have foreseen a month ago Um, And you say to yourself without, you know, without disclosing any personal information, um, I mean, is there like a person that if we were to, um, you know, call on folks to send support today, you would be like, this is the person or the situation that it would be directed to, because right now this is the acute need.
2: Um, I would say in terms of people, uh, it it would be, you know, I think I have a big concern for people to have their houses mucked out on sanibel who don't have the resources to do it themselves mm-hmm. or to hire a crew some people do i mean sanibel's a resort island there's there's you know people there with means and who've been successful but there's uh, other people too i mean there's people who are just working class families there are people who serve in the restaurants on the island uh, who, who can't just write a check and hire you know 10 people to and, don't, and, and
0: don't have jobs because their place of employment job. is now gone as well yeah
2: that's right yeah so, yeah. so I'd say there's, uh, you know, I can think of, and especially some of our widows who they, that was their life was just their little place on Santa It was their husband who left them. So uh, yeah, concern for them. Uh, and, and of course, a part of there's a challenge too, because there's some challenges getting on the Island. Uh, but, but if, you know, if, if a church wants to think about sending a team down to help muck out a few houses that's a big need, and it's a big witness to the island right now. I'd say the three biggest needs on the island right now are just uh, places to get food during the day, a hot meal. Um, and certain places are kind of opening up barbecues and things on the side of the road for free. Um, and we'd love to do that at our church too. It just, you know, it takes money, it takes people. Uh, I think the second thing is mucking out. And then the third thing is just a spiritual presence. So we're, even though our church is meeting in Fort Myers, now we're starting a kind of like mission back onto the Island where we're going to hopefully have chapel services on Sunday morning. Uh, We're not calling it a church. It's just like a mission onto the Island where we're going to be, you know, have a devotional and prayer for anyone who's there because there will be people who slowly but surely start deciding that they can return to the Island, even if it's not ideal, but for some people it's like their house. So They're like, yeah, the island's a mess, but I I got power and water and I can live here. So I'm going to live here.
0: Mm. Jeremy, um, if we circle back around, um, will you come and visit with us again? And can we pray for you right now?
2: It'd be my pleasure. And you absolutely can.
0: Father, um, thank you. Thank you for being the shelter in the storm. Thank you for being the safe place. Thank you for being the refuge. Thank you for being the one who is all-sufficient Thank you for being the one who um, who was the shelter in the storm. And thank you, Father, for creating good works for your people to do in the midst of um, such loss. So thank you for Jeremy, and thank you for um, the sweet fellowship of people who are known as Sanibel Community Church. And thank you for this opportunity you've given them to bear such positive public witness of who you are and how good you are, Father, we pray for them. Um, We pray that they would have not only every spiritual resource that's necessary for the accomplishing of your will in and through them, but that they would have real resources, physical resources that are necessary um, to do the things that you have called them to do, to serve hot meals every day um, on their campus, to provide for widows and those in the working class who can't muck out their own homes, and and to provide a place and opportunity for mission back onto the island to offer spiritual resources to the people who are there. Um, Father, for those who are listening right now that you desire to nudge in the direction of actually going, we ask that you would make a way for that as well. All of this we lift up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremy, um, Thank you so much. You guys can connect directly with Jeremy Rennie at Sanabelchurch.com. You can also read what he's writing at thegospelcoalition.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, certainly in talking with Pastor Jeremy Rennie and the pastors that we've talked with from Southwest Florida over, uh, you know, over the last month, I'm thinking about Andy Hawkins, who we just talked with earlier this week. I'm I'm thinking about um, Doug Pratt, who we talked with last week. You know, these are shepherds, um, these are under shepherds who are operating uh, out of the true heart of the shepherd. And we're talking about real ministry happening um, in ways that are meeting real human needs, um, but there are also those places and spaces in the church where people are subjected to um, spiritual abuse. And we know that and we recognize that. We, we understand that it is not only harmful to individuals, but um, it corrodes the credibility of the Church of Jesus Christ and her witness in the world. Michael Kruger um, brings us a new book. It's called Bully Pulpit. Confronting the problem of spiritual abuse in the church, and Michael joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
2: We need a strong God, yeah. We need the real God, yeah. The God with the resurrection power from the grave.
0: Joining us now, Michael Kruger. Um, you know him as the president of Reform Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, he, uh, he is also um, the author of a number of other books. We've talked about Surviving Religion 101, which I just, I just love. He's also the author of Christianity at the Crossroads, How the Second Century Shaped the Future of the Church. He blogs regularly at michaeljkruger.com. Um, He comes to us today to talk about Bully Pulpit, confronting the problem of spiritual abuse in the church. Michael, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks so much. Great to be with you again.
0: So this could be called Bully Pastor, um, in addition to being called Bully Pulpit. Talk with us about the challenge that we face um, in the church today, you know, when we've got these wolves in sheep's clothing who are not really feeding the sheep but beating them.
1: No, that's great. I, this this book is near and dear to my heart for lots of reasons. I think I've seen a trend develop over the last five or 10 years from the perspective as a seminary president, which is just greatly concerning to me, and that is this idea of bully pastors. We tend to think of abuse mainly in the category of either physical abuse or sexual abuse, uh, but there's a different category of abuse that's getting more attention now, and it deserves it. It's the idea of how pastors wield their authority in a way that's domineering, heavy-handed, harsh. And really uh, just overbearing to those under their care. And uh, this is obviously something the scripture talks about a lot and and says that anybody in ministry should not exhibit those qualities. But for whatever set of reasons, we seem to have promoted and pushed pastors in our world today that seem to have and sometimes even the opposite qualities that scripture lays out. And so this is the the motive behind the book.
0: Yeah. So this gets us a little bit into, uh, you know, like what we want or what we think we want um, as the people of the church. You know, I, I think part of the huge thing that you unmask in here is that churches are actually looking for the wrong kind of leaders. So what are the kind of leaders you see churches looking for? And what are the kind of leaders churches should be looking for?
1: Yeah, so uh, when I think about the way churches operate now, they kind of operate like the nation of Israel did when they wanted a king like all other nations. So if you go back and look at that passage in 1 Samuel, you know, Israel's clattering for a king, and it's clear they want a king that can beat up their enemies, that can, that can go out and go to war. Um, and God says, look, if, if, I, if I give you a king like that, he's going to oppress you. He's going to make your sons and daughters slaves, and he's going to rule you harshly. And they said, hey, fine with us. Well, we know how the story went. That same mentality sometimes is in the church, which is we want a we pastor who can, can fight for us, who can go out and, and, and do things that are super successful and dynamic and make progress and grow the church and so forth. But sometimes when we seek leaders like that, they end up having a downside, and sometimes they actually rule harshly even over the people that they're supposed to care for. So what I argue for in the book is that we need to recalibrate the way we think about leadership and recapture a lot of the characteristics that the Bible talks about, which is a gentle shepherd. Patient, kind, long-suffering, not quarrelsome, uh, and most importantly, not domineering over the flocks they care for.
0: Michael, um, we've got uh, one listener online who is, you know, already asking sort of the question in reverse: like, what about the sheep that eat the shepherd? Right? So there, there, are, um, there are tendencies within some congregations to abuse the pastor. That is, um, that's sort of the flip side of this same conversation. Um, talk with us about righteous biblical leadership in the spirit of Jesus like there 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 is a way to identify and uh, and find pastors who really do have um, the heart of the shepherd himself
1: yeah so the person that you referenced to online raising that objection I hear that all the time and I even mention it in my book and it's certainly true there are churches that abuse their pastor rather than the other way around um, and whenever that comes up that needs to be addressed too. However, you can't address everything at once, and in my book, I'm trying to address the problem that I think all of us see out there um if we're paying attention to the the larger scene. So how do you spot an abusive pastor? Well, lots of ways I cover in the book, but here's one major way that your listeners could latch onto this morning, that is they usually leave behind them a large relational debris trail. What I mean by that is there's a whole series of wrecked lives, lives that are shattered, relationships that are broken and not repaired that goes back year, years, and years into that person's ministry and so that debris trail of wrecked lives actually is sort of sign number one that something's not right um, and so this doesn't mean that you can't ever have an occasional conflict we all do in ministry you know that's just an ine- inevitable part of life in a fallen world but that sort of chronic persistent track record is usually a sign that you've got some some real issues
0: um how would I discover that like right I mean I think that um, w- we in the church have a tendency to Look at the resume and listen to the sermon and maybe, you know, check and see, you know, what nice things people who we think uh, are, you know, like we look at we look at references or credibility or we turn to the back of the book and we say, well, who recommended this person? Right. Um, instead of maybe doing the due diligence that it sounds like you're talking about, how, how would I how would I actually discover the, the debris trail um, you know, of a pastor's relational history. That, that, sounds, um, that sounds like that's going to go well beyond the, uh, the traditional search process.
1: Wow. Yeah. You, you, you're very perceptive because I, I cover that exact question in the book, which is if we have to spot the, the debris trail, we have to have a way of spotting it. Here's a couple observations on that. First of all, lots of times the relational debris trail is covered up. And this is very disturbing. Uh, case after case, I studied Parts of the leadership board knew this was happening and never told the rest of the leadership board, um, or they. some people knew it and others didn't know it, and it's covered up, it's overlooked, it's, it's, it's minimized. So that's a problem in its own right. So what I argue for in the book is that we need more transparency. We need better vetting of candidates in terms of their past, uh, in terms of their prior ministries and prior churches and prior relationships, and then we need to have a way to hold them accountable that really does reckon with how they're doing in the relationships in the church. So that's going to take more effort, uh, uh, more clarity and transparency at the leadership level, and that's exactly what I think we're lacking today, in, in many churches at least.
0: We're talking with Dr. Michael Kruger. He's the president of Reform Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Um, he's also a New Testament professor. The book we're discussing today is Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. Um, Michael, when when you think about the way in which um, people are being prepared for ministry today. Um, what would you say to a pastor who is going to be the pastor of a congregation where spiritual abuse has occurred? Like the next person who shows up to shepherd the flock after um, you know after spiritual abuse has occurred in a congregation? Um, like that that seems like a very unique um, calling, and yet my guess is it. It's going to need to be the calling of a lot of pastors in the generation um, in which we find ourselves.
1: No, that's exactly right. If you find yourself in a church that has suffered under an abusive leader for a long time, you're going to find yourself in a very uh, sort of scared flock that is rattled, on edge, uh, suspicious of all authority and nervous about who the next person is going to be because they wonder if they're going to abuse them, too. So the analogy I use regularly is it's like when you go to these dog shelters at the pound and you find these dogs that have been uh, mistreated by their former masters. Well, they cower, they shake, they're scared. They might even snap at you because they don't trust. So you have to realize that people who've been abused like that, they can, they can be kind of hard to manage because they they've been mistreated, right? And so it's going to take a shepherd that's very gentle and very patient and also very empathetic. This is one of the things that's missing in a lot of these discussions is empathy, really entering into the people who've who've suffered like this, telling them that they're understood and that you love them. That, that would be very, very important.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with Michael Kruger in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Michael Kruger, we're talking about his brand-new book, Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church, you may um, be a victim personally of the spiritual abuse of a pastor. You may be in a congregation that has suffered spiritual abuse. You may be um, an abusive pastor. Um, we want to talk to everybody. You may be preparing for ministry, um, and you want to know how to avoid being an abusive pastor and instead become the kind of church leader, not only after God's own heart, but it is genuinely edifying um, to the body of Christ, to to the believers in the faith? Like, how do you actually tend the flock? All of that is covered in this book, Bully Pulpit. Um, Michael, when we when we talk about the effect that spiritual abuse has on individuals and congregations, it also has this uh, credibility impact on the body of Christ in the world today. Um, and I, I suspect that from your perspective as a seminary president— you see that a lot, not just the effect that it has on individuals um, and congregations, but on the credibility of the body writ large.
1: Oh, absolutely. You bring up a fantastic point, and I address this a little bit in the book, but I've also written on it in other places. So one of the interesting parallels here right now in our cultural moment is we have this sort of rise of spiritually abusive leaders and abusive churches, but we also have a rise of people who are deconstructing their faith and leaving the church. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's true that throughout all, all generations, there's been people who've left the church. But one of the main reasons people are leaving the church now is under this category of church hurt, where they've been damaged and wounded by the body of Christ or by a pastor. So it's not just that they're you know, skeptical of the truth of Christianity. They've actually been mistreated in some fashion. And so as the world watches our response to abuse and how we tend to, and I think this is generally fair to say, We tend to minimize it and tend to overlook it, and the church has not always done a good job of holding up the standard for those who should be in ministry. When that happens, people begin to doubt the goodness of Christianity and the goodness of the church. And so we have to realize there's more at stake here than just simply individual lives, as important as those are, but the entire reputation of the bride of Christ is at stake. And so one of the things I like to tell people is I've written this book out of love for the church. I want to protect the church. I want the church to shine more brightly. Um, and so this isn't a bashing of the church. this is a this is a hope that the church can continue to be more sanctified and more like Christ,
0: okay. um, we have a question, and this is a really, really good one. Um, can Michael just give us an example of spiritual bullying or spiritual abuse? So you and yes. I have been using language that maybe we did not at the very outset um define,
1: yeah, so. Uh, This is one of the challenges, of course, of spiritual abuse is it tends to be less concrete than other kinds of abuse. So if I said what what counts as sexual abuse, I think we could all get there pretty fast. Uh, So the biblical category here is to lead in a domineering manner and manner, right, a harsh, heavy handed manner that can look lots of ways. It can look like a pastor who's cruel to those under his care. Uh, It can look like a pastor who's who's uh, hypercritical of everything under their care. It can look like a pastor who's vindictive and vengeful for those who cross him or don't follow him. Um, It looks like a pastor who can threaten to fire people or bring people up on charges of church discipline. It can look like a pastor who actually lies about those who who are under his care uh, and tries to present them in the worst possible light. Um, It looks like a pastor who actually tries to kick people out of the church if they don't follow uh, his path. So those are a rundown list of the kind of things we're talking about here. Um, and, uh, and, and it's real and I've met and talked with and read many testimonies of spiritual abuse victims. And it's, it's extremely devastating when they go through things like that.
0: Um, in my own experience, Michael, um, I would describe, um, the pastor who I encountered who engaged in spiritual abuse. It was at the staff level. It was at the level of the session of the church. And it was certainly at the level of, um, certain individuals in the congregation, but they also behaved in a way that was really duplicitous. And so lots and lots of other people in the church did not see what people saw who worked with this individual behind closed doors. Can you talk a little bit about that, that not everybody in the church has the same experience of a pastor who is abusive?
1: No, that's a really important and perceptive observation. And I address this also in the book, which is that bullies don't bully everyone. This is a really important thing to understand. Usually bullies bully downward or maybe horizontally, but they don't bully upward and they don't bully everyone. They usually bully people that are threats to them or that has crossed them or that they uh, want to uh, sort of minimize. And so what what happens in church is that most of the people in the church have a very positive experience of the pastor. Most of the people in the church have have felt like the pastor is great. So when abuse allegations come forward, most people just can't believe it. They think that's not true. That's not been my experience. So in other words, everyone judges their the, the abuse cases by their own personal experience with that pastor. And that is, that is actually one of the big flaws in the system, is that whether one person has experienced the pastor positively doesn't mean another person hasn't experienced him very, very negatively. Um, and so the analogy I use in my book is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, there's two personas there, and you don't always see... Uh, one side. You may only see the other side and you have to realize that people can have two sides and they're often very manipulative, abusive leaders, and they know how to show one side to one group and another side to another.
0: Yeah. And, then, and that and makes it really, um, I think, difficult at the congregational level um, because somebody has to have the courage to say, this is what's happening in my personal experience." Or this is what's happening in the environments where, you know, we together have witnessed this and we need to hold this person accountable um, that, you know, we need to um, we need to see a change of heart and a, and a change in leadership style here. But then often, um, at least in my experience, Michael, that person goes and raises up their advocates and the effort is instead to drive out those who are um, who are raising the alarm. Um and so we're not Michael and I are not saying that this is uh that this is easy or uncomplicated. We know it's really really hard. Um we also know that it's something that the church, the body of believers must address. There are um you know there are false prophets and there are wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing and they are parading around um, you know, under the moniker of pastor. And that's what we're talking about today. The book is excellent. It's a really wonderful resource for you. If you are um, concerned about this, if you are uh, a person preparing for ministry, I would highly recommend this. If you're a person in church leadership, maybe if you are in the search process for a pastor, this is a must read for you. The book is Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. And um, as we let you go, um, maybe just uh, thirty seconds of encouragement for those preparing for ministry.
1: Yeah, I tell people all the time that look, you know, I, I want to always be clear that most pastors, the vast majority of pastors, are godly, good people, and I hope that you know part of the the goal here is to target the few that are not. And so, I want to encourage the listeners: look, you know, chances are your pastor is is one of the good ones, right? So don't we don't want to be on in, in in a posture of suspicion. But there are people who don't start out ministry wanting to be bullies and ended up being bullies. And and, and part of it is just a defensive spirit feeling like every time someone critiques you, you have to lash back. So one advice I give to people thinking about ministries, you've got to learn to absorb criticism in a way that doesn't require retaliation. Sometimes people are going to criticize you in ministry. Sometimes it might be right, sometimes, and maybe many times it might be wrong. But we've got to find a way to gently uh, and patiently absorb that lest we become the bullies that we uh, are so uh, afraid of becoming.
0: Bless you, um, and bless uh, your sweet wife, bless your ministry, bless uh, the, the training process for the next generation of pastors. We appreciate the conversation today, Michael. We certainly appreciate your leadership at Reformed Seminary in Charlotte. We, um, we thank you for the book. You guys can connect directly with Michael and what he's writing day in and day out at his blog, michaeljkruger.com. The book is Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. We'll be right back. So I wanted to be like, Friday, 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 but Friday's tomorrow. So Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. I don't know. There you go. Um, I want you to be encouraged today as you get out there into the world that God so loves. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of the living God. Um, You are dignified and radiant. You're a child of the King. Um, He has fully equipped you for every good work that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Um, You have all authority. Um, The enemy has been defeated. You get to walk that victory out today uh, and so, you know, don't make too much of the enemy, make much of Christ. Let's be people who um, who let our light so shine before others that they would experience us and see our good works, not to our glory, but to the glory of our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.